Alright. Okay, cool, thank you. Awesome. Oh god, yeah, I know. I can't wait to get them all out properly. I mean, they'd only just hit retail last week. So, um... It's, uh... Getting it all out to people finally is amazing. Yeah, that's right. Funko behind you.
cyberpunk and censored. Hey, what's up everybody? We're officially live. Um, as always, if you're in chat, let me know if audio and video is good to go. If there's anything uh, glitching out or fucking up, just you know, put it in the chat and I'll get it fixed right away. Um, so yeah, this is uh, Cyberpunk Uncensored Live with Chris Birch of Modifius Entertainment. I'm really excited about this. Um, what's up, Chris? Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, yeah, I know we've been working on scheduling this for a while and the different time zone was a bit difficult. Yeah. This, is, this is my morning, your evening, but we made it work. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. anybody watching, um, yeah. Cyberpunk Uncensored recently partnered with Modifius Entertainment um, to kind of stream and play some Dune, some Fallout, anything else they have going on in the future. We're basically um, just excited to be part of the team and promote it and get into some of this gameplay, which anybody that's been watching... Um, we've got our official, every Friday I am a game master or overseer, I should say, in the Fallout 2D20 stream on the Mad Queen channel. Um, and then we're starting up a weekly on Tuesdays right here on Cyberpunk Uncensored channel with my buddy Brandon from Realmsmith. He's GMing. I'll be a player on that one. So I'll be having some fun. Actually, I don't have to GM finally. I can just play. And then, hey, what's up? Thanks for following. Uh, hoot, hoot, hoot. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and then we've got the Dune stream coming up. That's going to be uh, bi-monthly. I've got some pretty cool streamers joining me for that. I don't want to make any public announcements about, about some of those details. But yeah, lots of great streams coming up uh, with all the, the cool games from Modifius. So everyone should check that out. Um, before we get into talking about Chris and Modifius, um, I do want to give a shout-out to all my uh, uh, Patreon supporters that opted in for the shout-out tier. I really appreciate you all. Uh, having my back and pushing me forward. You guys are the fuel on my fire. You're the reason I constantly create content and kick out live streams and videos. So William Huddleston, Naomi Madlass, Nino Gaming, Leaded Coffee, Michael Edmonds, aka Kira, Chris Anderson, Dolan Pondsmith, Steve Barr of Sirenscape, Matt James, who's also GM Reservoir Panda, uh, Re uh, Revolver Gray, Samurai Mac, Jorge, Zach, who's Capricious Nature, and Roten. What's up, everybody? Again, thank you so much for having my back and supporting me on Patreon. Um, I really appreciate that shit. Um, so yeah, let's get into today's interview. I'm excited to have you. Thanks for all the follows, um, seeing all these notifications pop up. I really appreciate the support. Um, so like I said, I've got Chris Birch here, and uh, I do want to get into you know Modifius, all the games, things like that. But before we get into you know your company, where you're at now, let's let's take it back a bit. Let's give people a little bit of uh, history or knowledge on you as a person, like before we get into the company and stuff. So if you would just like take the mic and maybe, you know, walk me through, you know, little Chris Birch, back, you know, little, little kid Chris Birch back in the day. When did you first, uh, you know, where did you grow up? Wh when did you first get into gaming, tabletop role-playing games or video games, all, all that sort of stuff. Take me back to you as a little kid and, and fill me in. Sure. So little Chris used to go and help his grandfather um, with his um, uh, second-hand bookstore in Coventry Indoor Market. There was this big, massive building with lots of little market stalls inside, and but they were all like kind of semi-permanent with like huge wooden constructions. But they had like piles and piles of American comic books 
and what we'd call annuals here, which was like a kind of British style of graphic novel, it's often about like sci-fi TV shows or, or comics as well. And then uh, they had like old 70s records, which were like crazy. Um, and um, uh, and I would I would get paid for a Saturday's job helping them in a shopping bag full of comics. So I'd come home with Spider-Man, uh, Weird War, Sergeant Rock, uh, you know, you name it. I would just kind of look at anything that was cool that would come in. And then as I got older, I'd start coming home with uh, all the science fantasy greats, you know, like Asimov, um, you know, uh, the Foundation books, the iRobot books. There was the Thongor books, the Andre Niven Witchworld books, the Conan, John Carter's, all of that, uh, you know, classics. So that was my kind of secondary education right there. Just like I was just like a sponge absorbing everything that I came across. And that kind of obviously has helped inspire a lot of, a lot of things today. Um, and then I remember one week, I must have been about, I think I was like eight, and um, uh, my brother was 18. He's Nick. Uh, well, I've got two brothers. Uh, so Nick was 10 years older. And um, I think my mum was like, you've got to get Chris out of the house. It's Wednesday night. You know, take him to that thing that you're, you know, you, you, you're playing a game every Wednesday night. And they were playing D&D uh-huh. with this fat, this uh, friends of ours, the Sylvester's and Mark Sylvester um, was the GM. So I turned up, um, you know, this like kind of little geeky, shy eight year old kid. And um, we were, you know, I think it, they just started playing a new game, but they, they were playing In Search of the Unknown, that classic kind of dungeon, you know, the very first uh, B1 dungeon module. And if anyone has remembered playing it at the end of the tunnel, there's a pit trap. And they, you know, I, I guess you should always be suspicious if the GM lets you as a first level character have a suit of plate mail armor. But I guess they were trying <laughs> to be nice and, you know, make sure that I didn't die. Um, but I fell down that pit trap and I think he gave me like three saving throws to to save my ass and i missed each one i missed <laughs> catching onto the edge of the um the 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 edge of the trap i missed trying to tumbling up to the one side of the lake and i missed getting the the armor off in time but i so i drowned um, <laughs> so that was quite disturbing for a little eight-year-old kid and so i created a new character called and and his oh yeah his character name was brandon carter don't know how I came up with that. Um, so I was so distraught that I called him Son of Brandon. And every time I make a character in a video game, every time I've written the example character for one of our role-playing games, it's called Brandon Carter. So in honor of that very first character. I played. That's awesome. That's <laughs> and awesome. sometimes it's cartoonish. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and... Um, I guess if I'm playing if, if I'm playing a girl character, it's like Brenna Carter or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was my first uh, experience. And then the other thing was, and, and I remember going into school the next day, going, "Oh my god, I killed orcs last night and goblins, and it was amazing." And rabbiting away, no one had an idea what I was on about. And then, like a few, maybe a year later, this kid came in with a little black box, and we were sitting in the chemistry labs um, at lunchtime and creating characters for this game called Traveller. So and it was like this cool little black box, these little black booklets that look look, look so neat. And um, at the, I also, um, my mum uh, had a sister who had a cattery, 
and I was allergic to cats. Every time she wanted to go there, it'd be miserable. I feel like I've got flu for the weekend. But to get me out of the house, she took me to this um, uh, this quaint little village uh, near them in Gloucester, and um, there was this little art shop and knitting shop. And I was like, oh, do we have to go in? All right. So we went in, and it was lots of knitting stuff, of course. And I was just kind of kicking around as you do as a kid, and got found my way to the back of the shop. And there was this rack, and I just saw tanks and like warriors and stuff. And of course, it was um, uh, racks of these little Ziploc bags with um, um. the old Steve Jackson's Meta Games in them. So Ogre and GEV and Melee and Wizard, all these like really cool artworks and they were like i think they were like um a few just a few pounds so even then they were relatively cheap and i convinced my mum to uh to buy me one and uh so i took this game ogre home uh and uh these games are like little hex based war games and this one's about a big cybernetic tank versus lots of little tanks and infantry and it's like a you know, it's a you know strategy game because you've got to work out do you take out the tank's tread units or its guns, and I spent and it's got this ratio combat and I was not brilliant at maths so I was scratching my head out how to work out ratio combat over the weekend, but then I was hooked into these like hex based war games and back then the kind of hobby was kind of fantasy games everyone would say they're fantasy games so I was like there was a great shop called Dungeons and Starships in Birmingham that. Mark, the GM, introduced me to. There was a treasure trove of um, of like these hex-based games and role-playing games. Um, you know, I ended up discovering Star Frontiers, uh, that was the D and D sci-fi game that they brought out. Yeah. And then um, my brother, my other brother, I got into games. I got him playing Ogre, and he uh, introduced me to Met- Metamorphosis Alpha by Jim Ward. It was cool cool uh, post-apocalyptic game which is one of the reasons I like post-apocalypse stuff and uh, and then just I started collecting all kinds of stuff doing war games I got into Napoleonic war gaming uh, 15 mil figures got my other brother into war games as well and he's still he's still a war gamer now and nice. uh, and so that's how it started and then at college um, when so I went to college at uh, 21 to do a, a uh, what we call a BTEC HND business and finance course, which is a two year, it's like a lower degree, but it was a very practical course. So um, you were, you know, in the first year, you, you basically, you're taught everything about setting up a business. And in the second year, you're given money to set up a business. And I ended oh. up being the chairman of the company, giving the money out, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> so we had all sorts of wacky ideas. But whilst I was there, I was both publicity secretary for the Christian Union and chairman of the gaming society. So I'd have all these, as you can imagine, very interesting conversations about, you know, so, you know, there would be Christians like, oh, but it's all demon worship. It's like, yeah. have you seen that monster manual with that really shit art cover? That is not a demon. If that's a demon, <laughs> you've got nothing to worry about. Like, it's like, yeah. you know, that's, I could, you know, the guy who's doing his art course here could do better than that now. It's like that classic <laughs> demon that was like, it's true. come on, you know. Um, and then I remember, um, families doing a tour of school and we were playing D&D and I literally as they opened the door I just switched and went so Satan said and uh, <laughs> they just had this horrific look on their eyes and backed out <laughs> but um, yeah so we used to have a great time we'd throw um, big 
uh, costume medieval banquets and the student union would stink of chicken and orange juice and cider the next day. <laughs> so we had we had a great time and spending all the all the gaming society budget in the new games workshop in Birmingham uh, on on our gaming library. So uh, yeah, it's great time. So that's kind of that's the backdrop. When I came to London, I um, went into the music business. So I was organising. Oh. Uh, uh, I was an agent, an agent for a lot of big rave bands. So, and you know, we were working with the likes of um, a band called Lords of Acid, which is a big oh yeah techno punk band that love um, Lords of Acid. Still touring today. Great band, yeah, lovely guys, uh, all, all from Belgium, and they've got another uh, uh, techno band called Praga Khan, which is the main character in Maurice. And so I was working with a lot of them, a lot of guitar bands. I was um, managing and doing tours around the world. So I kind of didn't have a lot of time for gaming. And um, and then kind of connected with a friend of mine, Stuart, um, uh, Stuart Newman, who we started playing 40K and Epic and sitting there till um, six in the morning drinking Diet Coke and eating pizza, dreaming up <laughs> gaming worlds as you do. And, um, and we came up with this, um, I knew I was going to meet Mike Pondsmith of Cyberpunk fame. Oh, nice. uh, for a project um long story he's a lovely guy and so we wrote this world called uh well the game a game called blaster array which is kind of uses um uh dice in a similar way that savage worlds does and it was a war game and a role-playing game and this cool world and it was a solar system that had been uh artificially engineered by some aliens and we called it modifius uh, after the word modified and said when, if we ever start a gaming company, it's going to be called Modifius, and so that's why oh, our company is called Modifius. Um, going back to first conversation, and um, I went in and out. You know, I was doing. You know, I would be doing club nights till nine in the morning every Friday and Saturday nights. So there wasn't a lot of time for gaming uh, for for several years, um, and then we were doing big big rave festivals in the countryside for fifty thousand people with all the big DJs and bands and um, and then I kind of gradually got back into gaming I left that and started a PR company working with video games companies and um, at the time I was, I was helping Cubicle 7 get the rights for Doctor Who from the BBC because uh, I was doing a lot of licensing deals and um, um, I said oh we're and I, we'd, I'd also started a, a t-shirt company called Joystick Junkies which was based on, you know, making cool video game art T-shirts, really aimed at people who didn't like video games, trying to make video games graphics so cool that people who hated video games loved them. And and we got them into, like, boutique shops and stuff like that. And whilst I was doing that, I started looking at some graphics because I love sci-fi art. And there's a... There's a, there's a company called DC Thompson in in Scotland that publishes a lot of comic books. They have done since the 50s. Um, and not obviously the DC from America. And they had a comic called Star Blazer, which is not the anime one that you might be thinking about, but a uh, British um, sci-fi comic in black and white, about 70 pages, always one whole story in a comic. It was a lot of the, uh, a lot of the early 2000 AD artists worked on it, if you look at them. And there was, I think it's 284 issues they made before they wow. stopped. And it was one a month, and it was a great comic and beautiful Chris Foss style sci-fi color covers. And I said, "Well, look, this is a great. I'm looking at doing some T-shirts with this. 
why don't you guys do a role-playing game? Because we all know role-playing games struggle with artwork. I mean, sorry, to just back back up a moment, I'd been out, I probably hadn't been into a gaming shop in like, I don't know, like seven years, right? And I remember going into a shop going, oh, I wonder how it's changed. Like, you know, I, I bet it's going to be amazing. And I walked in and it was the same old crappy, like 300 pages, black and white, like so much right. text, hardly any artwork, and the artwork was atrocious. And like, I was just shocked that the industry hadn't moved on. And so, you know, I was saying to the guys at Cubicle 7, look, you could take all the artwork from these books. It's so much artwork. And they were like, great, why don't you do it? So in, in a fit of madness, I said yes and um, spoke to my friend Stuart, said, hey, do you want to write a role-playing game together? You know, we've been wanting to do one and we can get, they'll, you know, we'll get the rights to Starblazer. And um, he was like, sure. So we did this ridiculously big role-playing game called Starblazer Adventures that um, uh, 636 pages. It was designed using fate, fate rules. And we took the fate version from Spirit of the Century and did a pulp space opera adventure version of it. And uh, it was a huge, huge undertaking. And I had this like vision of just putting everything in the book so you didn't need to buy anything else. There was no, there would be no more supplement. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a massive toolkit. Great fun, but it was like nearly killed us, I think, trying to finish that <laughs> over the next sort of two, three years. And, um, and meanwhile, the T-shirt company was getting very busy. So I just got on with my life doing that. Mm. And then, cut a long story short, 13 years later, I met Rita, my current wife, and, um, we and she knew I wasn't happy and Kickstarter had come along and I was seeing all these kind of projects getting off the ground. I was like, eh, maybe we could do something. And so um, I started looking around at what, you know, what was popular. I'm very good at doing product research because fashion trains you to really analyze trends and, you know, where the market's going. And I looked at Kickstarter and I was like, Cthulhu is really big. Anything that's World War II in gaming is really big. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is really big. Savage Worlds is really big. Let's combine all those together um, and do World War II and Cthulhu. And I, if you remember, I loved all those old Weird War and Sergeant Rock comics, you know, where there were, you know, it's classic GIs fighting a demon-infested tank in Normandy. And so I dreamed up this uh, universe called Acton Cthulhu that was, uh, you know... Um, mashup of Cthulhu and we're kind of dialing the clock forward in in um Cthulhu to be World War II uh but then we created like some this very deep backstory with various um Nazi secret agencies and allied secret agencies all fighting this secret war so that the history books ended up the way they did and uh let you kind of jump into the middle of that and um so we did a big Kickstarter with that. That was a huge success. And, I, you know, it was 10, 17 times bigger than I thought it was. I thought we'd get 10 grand, and we ended up with 170 grand. Wow. Um, and so <laughs> rather than just work from home a day a week working on this, it was like, oh, we better go full time. So we did and just launched into it. Um, and... Um, then we did, uh, we got the rights to do Mutant Chronicles because you also, as a business, then you're like, okay. So I'm very careful about with money and also careful about planning. So we, you can't imagine, you know, I, I also thought Kickstarter might not be around forever. It's let's not treat it like the golden goose. 
let's prepare for the future. So let's get other projects signed up. Let's think about distribution. So, you know, I signed up another project called Mutant Chronicles that was, if you don't know it, it was a bit like Games Workshop 40K in the 90s, a bit more kind of cool, gonzo, mad, Europe, Swedish, because they were Swedish writers. Um, and we rebooted that with a Kickstarter in the year after. And then using that, we got the rights to Thunderbirds, the British TV show, and we made a game with Matt Leacock, a big co-op um, kind of disaster re- rescue game. That was a lot of fun. We did a you know big Kickstarter with that, and then we got the rights to Conan, and then we got the rights to Infinity. So we did big Kickstarters for those. And but all the while, we we're kind of building up our website, building up the distribution, so we weren't reliant on Kickstarter. But of course, it's a it's a great it, bonus. Yeah, and it also and, sounded like, uh, and then eventually we. Now, I was going to say, it also sounded like you were, you know, correct me if I'm wrong or fill me in. Was the approach at the beginning always that sort of tactful licensing aspect to the gameplay? Like, because it seemed like aside from just, hey, I've got some creative ideas on how to set up some gameplay. Let's come up with original world. And you do have in-house worlds that you've created, you know. But it seems like at the beginning, yeah. it was a combination of like the creative and the analytical, like your business side kind of was like, smart on the licensing and marketing aspect of it even though the creative mind was into the gaming creating the rules you know bringing it into the tabletop yeah. role-playing game world but was the plan always kind of that that smart licensing aspect to get the business launched or well i, I always liked the idea of weird war and um and, and and well i suppose you could define this weird war which is zombies and werewolves and vampires in world war Two. And there's Cthulhu and World War Two, where there's these god, ancient gods, um, you know, fighting over our world, and and so I was, it was a bit half and half because I was really approaching Kickstarter analytically, going, if I'm going to do this, how do I make this the biggest, biggest possible success? How many boxes can I tick to reduce the risk? So you know, that's why I was looking for all those. You know, I was like, okay, I'll use, you know, let's try and use Call of Cthulhu because that's a popular rule set. But actually, Savage Worlds is completely different to that. And um, and they'd already done a weird war rule book. So they'd already done some of the rules development that we would have needed to do. And let's put both stats in because that's two, that's two audiences, not just one. So we could reach a much wider audience with a bit more work. And um, so it was a, it was a happy meeting of, I love the idea of Nazis and monsters and uh, role-playing in World War II with cool heroes. But at the same time, all this stuff makes business sense. And that's why I always try and do it. It's, you know, I have to love something to work on it because I know I'm going to be doing it at the weekend at some point. You always do as a business owner. And so I want stuff to be doing, I want us to be doing stuff that I love. But at the same time, it's got to make business sense as well. You can't do something that's going to lose you money um i mean i've you know i've done some projects where i was like well you know this is probably not as big a project as we would do normally but i love it so we've done well and often this is quite a good lesson i've learned uh i was working with a guy called david grant he's a big um he, he does a lot of uh vocal coaching in the uk on tv shows now of road managing driving into gigs and he said chris there's probably six jobs in the world you can do really well and only one of them you will starve for and you'll give up anything for that job and that's what will make you happy and if it makes you happy the money will come 
because you'll do you'll do really well you will care about the job you'll do a great job and so that's what I've always tried to do and, and it's with with our business it's what I try to follow with the projects what are the projects that I really love that I'd probably give up something for because those are the ones that we'll do really well with you know um but you know matching that with a bit of bit of business sense as well so um yeah. so yeah it's it's always been a that kind of tricky balance yeah and um it was somebody i think uh november alpha or maybe robert uh somebody in the chat earlier when you were talking about how you got started you know with D&D they said something along the lines like dungeons and dragons is the gateway drug to all tabletop role playing games and i got to agree it seems like on sure. on all of us uh, GMs and people, anytime I do these interviews or I talk with people from the industry or streaming community or whatever, um, it seems like everybody kind of stems from the, you know, the godfather of role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's so funny. But it's funny yeah, how it's, you had you had the, the Christian uh, group and the gaming group at the time when it was that whole... Yeah. That, that had to be crazy. I just... <laughs> it's like life is fine. I remember when... Um, uh, so, I mean, well, I'm 53 now. So um, in the, God, in the early 80s when I was a teenager, I remember life of people talking about life. Oh, no, it's terrible. You shouldn't watch it. It's like, God, Jesus would laugh at this film. It's hilarious. It's brilliant. <laughs> of course, of course, blessed are the cheesemakers. The people at the edge would have misheard what he said and probably made up all kinds of shit. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I've always been a very, you know, uh, you know, I am a Christian and I have absolutely no issues with role playing, and you know we even sold Vampire and Cult, which are quite horrific. You know, games are about horror, but they're games right. where you you play a role, and you know, in D and D, you play characters going around killing all those monsters and their children, and you know, if you really dig it, dig deep into it, in chess, you play a game that actually resembles horrific medieval combat. Um, exactly, you know, it's. Um, I don't have any 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 issues, so yeah. uh, you know it's a great game, and you know we be creative and you know and it brings people together in really fantastic ways and you know playing role playing games brought me out of my shell. You know I Absolutely. was a really shy little kid uh, when I discovered it uh, and had it had a huge impact on my life. So it's uh, you know it's fantastic, and I think um, you know forty k. And Warhammer, it, it does the same thing for Wargamers. That brings in a lot of people. Um, you know, I was lucky that I, you know, I was really, uh, you know, that my brother introduced me to Metamorphosis Alpha and then I discovered Star Frontiers and then uh, other role, uh, Tunnels and Trolls, which is another kind of classic uh, role-playing game, you know, fantasy game. So I was lucky that I discovered other things. I think, that you know, a lot of people that get into D&D kind of never get out of that, that sea and yet there's all these lakes of cool little gaming worlds around that sea over the mountains you know right. um, and you've got to be a bit brave to kind of climb the mountain and look over to see all those other cool worlds and it's easy to stay in the sea of D&D because there's so much there to keep you entertained and and if you and your group love D&D fantastic that's really great I mean we're playing Curse of Strahd again you know I, you know, ah. I love D&D as much as anyone so um it's uh, you know it's good to to broaden your horizons I think and you know I'd encourage people if they're you know hardcore D and D players just to sort of see it's like if you're a you know if you love uh, Netflix it's worth seeing what's on Amazon Prime sometimes right so uh, all right. over absolutely uh, if you're like you know if you're a 
hardcore Marvel fan, you know, occasionally there's a cool DC story that's worth checking out. Exactly. It's, um, you know, the, there's just so many great games out there. It's be a shame. Yeah, I agree. And anybody watching too, make sure you check out Modifius. I mean, you have such a library of game options. Like I said, all the different licensed content, um, you know, whether it's Cthulhu, uh, Conan, Dune, Fallout. Um, you even have Judge Dredd, Elite Dangerous, uh, you know, like I said, Star Trek and, and Conan yeah, a lot of and Dune. Stuff. We work with a lot of, yeah, we work the, with a lot of creators to help them get their games into the market as well. So, um, yeah, so there's you've got Black Void, Lin Manol, uh, Judge Dredd, um, uh, and others who are partners who have their games coming out and we're helping them get into distribution. We've also uh, we also got a program called Via Modifius now where we get involved and invest in a game. So we, we just did, did it with um, Five Parsecs from Home, which is a kind of rules-light RPG slash miniatures game. So it's a solo game that generates a kind of procedural campaign as you go. You can use any miniatures you've got and you kind of play out the storyline and you end up playing some little skirmish battles and super simple rules. And that's that's been a kind of big indie hit for us. So there's going to be more projects like that coming. I'm really interested in solo gaming and helping people discover really easy ways to get playing games at home. Because, I mean, let's face it, we don't always have as much time as we'd like to think we have for gaming, especially if you're married or you've got kids or you've moved away from friends. It's, um, you know, it's harder and harder to get a quality you know, full day of wargaming or a full session of role playing, uh, mm. and obviously, and it's great with all the, um, you know, the online tools. There's so many online systems that, you know, whether you want something simple or really complicated that, that has all the bells and whistles, there's, you know, there's every solution for you now. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think like you said earlier um, about it kind of breaking you out of your shell. I think it is important for everyone to at least try role-playing games at least once if you're into game playing, any type of gaming. To me, role-playing games are absolute therapy, you know, just to like step out of your, your normal life and world and explore these other personalities and characters and things that you're doing. It's just, it's therapy and it absolutely breaks you out of your shell if you're, yeah. if you're typically a shy person. I, uh, I made a habit of inviting non-gamers to my role-playing sessions and I still right. do. And the secret is um, cook dinner because right. <laughs> you think everyone's, you know, if you look at social media, you'd think everyone's out having an amazing time. And actually most, most people are stuck at home and they're bored and they would wish that someone would invite them for dinner. So if you say, hey, come over, I'm going to cook some nice pasta or like whatever. And, um, uh, you know, we're going to play this storytelling game. It's going to be fun. Most people will say yes, and they'll come and give it a go. And then you, you know, you make it introductory. You don't go, "Here's a huge rule book, and you've got to create your character." You just go, "Look, here's here's all you need to know. Just follow, you know, just follow along, enjoy it, and have fun." And guess what? They'll probably come back the next week, especially if you cook dinner again. And so I exactly. always cook dinner for our RPG sessions. And I've just encourage anyone who's struggling to get people along, just cook dinner. And it's, yep. it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, you can make pasta really cheap, you know, and simple ingredients. You can, and it's fun. And, you know, you chat over food, you, you know, you all sit and bond over food. Hey, how's your week been? You know, it's that social interaction. And then, you, you know, you get playing. 
Oh yeah. So my wife and I were doing that. Forward. Yeah, my wife and I were doing that exact thing weekly with friends. They would come over to our house. We were playing uh, D&D 5th edition every week and then I was running a Cyberpunk Red. Um well, I was using the Kickstarter 2020 combo. This was before I got the advanced copy from Artalsorian, but um that's exactly what we yeah. would do. My buddy David, who is the GM of the D&D game, his wife was an amazing cook and she would always bring over these elaborate dinners and things and my wife would make like uh, the appetizer or sides. <laughs> And that was the whole, you know, it would revolve around getting together for dinner, and then we would we would game, and it was so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, and now now it's all virtual keep, for me, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But we we've just um, you know we've been starting to get back out and meet people here in in England, so we've been lucky. We've had a couple of sessions with our group already, and uh, yeah, it's been amazing being able to get around the table again. That's funny. Robert Tables in the uh, chat says, diners, drive-ins, and dives, and Dungeons and Dragons. Guy Fieri is your DM. You meet at the tavern in Flavor, in Flavor Town. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Guy Fieri, but that's that's hilarious. Um, one other thing from chat out before it gets too you know buried in, in the, uh, the comments there, I did want to mention, because it's back when we were talking about the artwork. You were talking about going back in after like seven years and it looking exactly the same and like, damn it, it's still all that black... Yeah black and white line art and some of it isn't looks like it's a sketch or practice yeah. work it is so true and it's so yeah. funny because so few people i feel bring that up about old school D and the old books and stuff and i feel like it's a nostalgic thing because i'll see people saying like oh i i miss that old school black and white line art like they didn't like the new artwork in some of the new game books whether it be yours or our talsorian things that i play and i'm involved with and to me like I love the new artwork, the, the colors, the stylization, even when it's that sort of gritty, almost painting looking, and then the more realistic, almost 3D rendered looking stuff. Like, I love the textures and the, the realism in it. It is so immersive and so much better that I feel like when people talk about that old school shit, it's like they're just being nostalgic because it, it, it's cool, but it's, oh, yeah, it doesn't yeah. even compare to the we caliber of art that's going around these days. We all see it through rose-tinted glasses. And, um, yeah. you know, I think our Act and Cthulhu, the first books we did, were, were some of the first full-color RPG books. And then we just stuck with that. And just I, I just think that's the minimum level of quality is full-color. And then, you know, and sometimes it's hardbacks, sometimes it's softbacks. But, you know, just giving people, you know, we've got such talent now you know production quality and everything there's there's no excuse for not having a great looking book oh yeah and yours are awesome i'm absolutely like just just melting over this uh, uh fallout uh, 2d20 book and the dune one i've got those digital copies and we're getting ready to stream like like i mentioned at the beginning of this episode um but yeah the artwork in those are just so good i mean it is just so good it absolutely pulls you. you in yeah i'll be reading and then i'll spend just as much time just like looking at the imagery as i did absorbing the rules and lore and stuff because it's like i don't know the details in it you can, you can like i said it's immersive i can absolutely look at the the imagery and get sucked into the vibe of it now versus back in the day when it, you know just line art it would just kind of i don't know just be a little accent to a page but you wouldn't dive into it you know and the art now is just yeah. absolutely amazing so definite props to you all your game I mean, all your books are amazing I do like how things are evolving. That you get interesting projects like Mork Borg is a good example of using uh, less color to a great effect. You know they've got this very stylistic 
punk effects going on and you know, in some of the um, you know the old school books that they're bringing back, you know, s- some have a nice nice style, and sometimes it works. It is a bit a bit a little bit like black and t- black and white TV. Once you're into a game, you kind of forget that it's in black and white. But some yeah. of them, I think one of the issues is that a lot of the old games had so little artwork. So what would happen is you just have pages of text, and it's just really boring to read and hard to absorb. And you know, and also the art, and the art. Some of the artwork really was atrocious, and some of it was kind of cute. Um, but uh, I mean, I remember like some of the old Gamma World artwork had this like kind of really gonzo, wacky, cool look to it, like with kind of talking badgers and walking plants and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, we're, we're just um, overloaded with you know so much great looking art these days. I mean. It, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a role player because you've got every kind of game you kind of want to play in every kind of genre. Uh, you know, the games are more diverse now. It's not just a bunch of bearded white dudes on the covers with right. swords or laser guns. You know, it's it's much more balanced, you know, balanced and and representative of real people out there in the world. You know, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, so it's really great that you know the industry's come along a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of all the games, you know, current all the way back to the past, you know, past to present. What's your all time favorite tabletop role playing game then? I'm curious uh, whether GM or playing or just yeah. you, you like the vibe of the world and artwork or whatever. Like what's what's yeah. the overall game that you, you like the most? It's a tricky one because sometimes <laughs> you read a game and of the the look and feel of it but you don't get to play it and then there's um you know we we played a mutant chronicles campaign from playtest through to when the game launched for about three years with my gaming group and had some hilarious sessions and a fantastic group you know sometimes seven eight people it was like a party every week um uh, and that was great fun and i i'm a improv gm so I literally script it on the fly. And, you know, I take into account what's happened before and some odd notes here and there, but I kind of create the world as we go. And, I, and I, I've taught improv, and I used to run a big um, big improv drama group, so it's, that's quite easy for me. Uh, so I loved that. Um, but I don't know. I think, um, God, it's, really, it's very hard to look back. I remember, I remember getting um, Everway, the um, really old school, the the Wizards of the Coast kind of very abstract um, card based role playing game ah. that I remember introducing it to a girlfriend at the time who wasn't a gamer, and you cr- you created characters by drawing three cards from this art deck, and she just got it straight away. She was like, "Oh yeah, that means I'm a I sell I deal in strange birds." It was like a girl with a bird and. And I live in this like old quaint town with thatch roofs, and then, and it's it was just interesting how it evoked a totally different attitude to the game, because it wasn't about stats and skills and things. It was just like which of these images relate to you, and I think that was really interesting. I mean, but I never played it. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. So, um, like I said, uh, a favorite might not even yeah. be one that you play it's, or run, yeah. but something you, you you've yeah yeah. 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 And speaking of games like I, like that, I mean, you I said to go back. I think mutants. What? No, sorry. I I think Mutant Chronicles is is the one we had the most fun 
with. Oh. I, mean, I think you have to go back to what provided the most enjoyment, and that was Mutant Chronicles. And that, you know, that's not going to be the best role-playing game I've ever played. It, you know, it was our first 2D20 system. Um, I played it how I wanted to play it, um, which isn't always perfect. You know, I kind of, you know, make stuff up on the fly as well. But it, it provided the most enjoyment for our group, the most laughs. And, and I think, actually, the most fun doesn't always marry with the best design game or the best game, you know. Sure, so, absolutely. Uh, where did you have the best time? Yeah. yeah. And you, you mentioned the 2D20 system. That was the first time implementing that system. Tell me about the 2D20 system because I'm loving it. You know, I'm familiar with D&D, Cyberpunk. Those yeah. have been my main, you know, two go-tos since I was a kid. Um, even though I did try other ones here and there, those have been my, my you know, mains. Until I got into your games and got into Fallout, Dune, I'm looking at some others, but um, that 2D20 system, I really like it. It makes sense to me. I can I can understand, you know, the mathematics behind it to where it feels balanced and it makes fair sense in its mechanics. But the simplicity of the way it works, I think, is also very streamlined once you get a, a hang of it. it. It's it you don't get sure. lost in the crunch too much. But how did that start? How did you come yeah. about it? All you know, fill me in on the 2D20 system. Um, well, obviously, we'd, we'd been through using Call of Cthulhu and Savage Worlds for our acting Cthulhu world. And I think we realized we need to create our own uh, role-playing system because we want to be able to sell the core book. And you can't sell a core book when you're uses, using someone else's system most of the time. Um, and, and because core books sell five times what a, su a supplement sells. So if you want to get big sales, you've got to sell a core book. It's as simple as that. And, and so we uh, started banding around some ideas. And originally, it was going to be 5D20. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I, uh, I was playing ideas. Yeah, it was, that was crazy. I, I played out some scenes using 5D20 for every character, um, which is awesome. But, you know, there's no scaling there. Like, it was, it was you know... That was a scene fighting a really big uh, enemy called Algoroth with all these heroes. And they were doing lots of badass stuff. But um, you need to be able to start small and you can't give someone 5d20. So then uh, we got Jay Little involved. I mean, we did a bit of work and uh, with me and uh, Michal Kronos, who was like one of the first guys that joined the company. He's our, our senior graphic designer, but he's also a games designer. So we did a load of work and kind of realized that and also a guy called uh, Ben Gray Beaton, who's our uh, operations manager now, and he's also a you know he's a mathematician, analyst, etc. So we ran lots of numbers and figured out that two D twenty was the kind of the starting point um, that you could do fun stuff with as a as a character, and it could evolve from there. And then where the system went to, we got Jay Little involved, who you know worked on the Star Wars system, role playing system, and he worked on X Wing and so on. And he took our lots of our ideas and turned that into a commercial working role-playing game design, which we could then, you know, uh, take and and fit into, you know, in, you know, became part of the Music Chronicles book. And then uh, a guy called Nathan Dowdle, who we um, we were getting to write some of the Mutant Chronicles books. He'd worked on the 40k RPG for Fancy Flight. 
and he got more and more involved and he's now our lead designer. So he works to take the 2D20 system and reinterpret it a bit like a car engine for every game. And nothing is sacred except rolling 2D20s. So unlike other systems where it doesn't always quite work, we're just like, let's just rebuild it from the ground up. A lot of systems kind of work. But what does it need to do for this world? This world's steampunk or this world is ray guns and um, princes and princesses and it should be about talking more, not about killing. And how does it do June where it's there isn't really... There's no ray gun fights in June. It's like, because then things blow up in a really bad way. Um, there's mm-hmm. knife fights with shields that are very, you know, uh, exciting. But then it's a lot about, you know, um, um, very role play. verbal conflict yeah. and conspiracies and drama. Yeah, exactly. So it has to be reinvented. And it, it's pretty much like a car company that, yeah, the engine works on combustion, right? Well, and now electrical, of course. Right. But, you know, you look at Volkswagens, the Volkswagen, you know, or the Audi, you know, the Audi A3 engine and the, you know, Audi um, sports cars, they all, they're all combustion engines. They all kind of do things the same way, but they're, they're just rebuilt from the ground up to be a great sports car or a great four-wheel drive or a great town car. And they're, and they're suited for that. And that's kind of what we do. We, we don't have any uh there's, there's nothing is sacred about the game design that we can we can restart from the from scratch to and, and there's a lot of things you know we've done things in so many different ways now we're like you know what the character creations from star trek would work well for this and and how we did that system in that would work well so we've, we've got a lot of kind of modules we can build on or just build something new but of course if you've done it before there's no point spending weeks rewriting something that's like three degrees different you know Right. So that's how it kind of evolved and we just have used it in all the systems because it's great fun um, and, uh, you know, and it's it's been quite different. So uh, Mutant Chronicles, we, we really tried to evoke the original rules and it was, you know, had, um, uh, it was a little bit more crunchy and then we did Conan that was even kind of probably a bit more crunchy with melee combat um, and then we did... Um, Gosh, um, and then there was uh, Infinity, uh, which uh, added another layer of crunch because you you've got social conflict, hacking conflict, and actual combat. Um, so there was like three layers of in you know of, uh, conflict going on, and then when then Star Trek dialed it right back because Star Trek is not about conflict; it's much more about is problem solving, and it's and it's talking to people. And if you pull out phases that that has a different type of type of effect. We don't have, you know, hundreds of different weapons. It's, you know, there are phases and then, you know, other other race type stuff. But um, you know, it's much more uh simpler as a system. And then we did John Carter, which is even simpler again. And, you know, sometimes we have well usually it's uh an attribute and a, a skill. And you add those two together and roll under that number on two 20-sided dice. And sometimes if you roll under the skill itself, then you get an extra success. You're potentially going to get between two and four successes. And, you know, on average, you know, shooting someone in the street, you probably need two successes maybe. But if it's raining, you need three. And if it's dark, you need four. 
but if you get extra successes, you can spend them on doing extra damage, hitting another target. So it's very straightforward. And, mm-hmm. and also, you can play it very cinematically. So that if you say, uh, you know, uh, I want to run down the street and like spring off the wall and then jump on the guy and, and go, dive into the car and race away, it's like, well, okay. Um, and, th- and then you, that's when you start rolling a lot of dice. You can roll up to five D20s now. This is where with five comes back to. But the more dice you roll, the more the GM gets a, a resource often called threat or doom in our games uh, because you're paying him or her to get those extra dice. Um, and that doom builds up in a pile until the GM spends it in a really cool way because what right. you're saying mm-hmm. is, okay, I'm buying more dice because I want to do this really cinematic thing. But I'm telling you, I want the, the world to kick back. I want something exciting to happen now. I want you to spend that that threat to make some, you know, let's let's make oh, yeah. the action. Let's dial things up a bit. It br- it so this it- is when, like, temples start falling. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I was going to say, that makes it balanced. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's absolutely yeah. balanced in that sense because you're not just having the opportunity to spice something up or, you know, increase the, the character's actions or, or yeah. worth. I don't want to say worth, but but there's got to be a repercussion to that. And I think that's a good balance there that you know, like, hey, I want to do this cool thing. It's worth it to me to to have the, the world kick back at me in the future at one point for me kicking at the world at this moment being cool, you yeah. know? So yeah. it's like, it's a balance thing. Yeah. I, think, I love it. And I use uh, coins. I use these metal coins. Like, we throw them down and they could, and it's like the clink and the player's like, oh, God, it's building up. Something bad's going to happen, which is good, right? Because you want some, as a role player, you want something bad and exciting to happen to you. You don't want to just be walking along. Yeah, you're walking along for another hour, nothing happened. Right. You want exciting stuff to get happened. You want to be kidnapped. You want to be taken down. You want the big creature to burst through the doors. You want the temple to start collapsing around you, and you've just got to grab the treasure in time to get out. Yep. So threat is all about powering that kind of really fun drama in the game, and, it, and, it's, and it's a tool for the players to say, I want more crazy. I that, want stuff to really go up a notch now. And that's great. And it's, and it's also great, I think, for the GM new earn GMing because it threat gives them a scale of this is what you can do now. I mean, with D and D, you can open the door and go, "Yeah, there's two thousand orcs there. Good luck. I can just <laughs> screw you." But with TD twenty, I mean, you can write that in the book if you really want to have a room full of 200 orcs but when you've got threat you can spend and you know that okay i'm going to spend three threat to bring in a, another squad of orcs like okay like you you went crazy on the orc sergeant like it's you know that's of course that's going to cause a lot of noise some more orc reinforcements arrive or um the lights go out uh-oh something's entered the room so um and i'm spending that that five threat on a assassin turning up or something instead so it gives you a uh, it gives new gms a structure to help learn gming as well and i think that's really valid oh yeah and given the player like you said a moment ago about it allows the players to kind of i don't know structure the gameplay a bit too the moment you were saying that pwb in chat said that's a great way for players to decide the level of action it's a great minds think alike but exactly i think that's that's what's so cool about that system. And then backing in the chat, I want to make sure I didn't miss this when we were talking about the the the, the different ways that you've implemented the 2D20 system into the different 
gameplay, like it's not maybe always action. There's no guns in this one. There's only blades, and it, it works different. Like in Dune, for instance, uh, Robert Table says power balances, intrigue, favors, and debts. I love all that stuff just as much as the raw combat. Absolutely. Like I was saying earlier, it just opens the doors for amazing role-playing. You know, there's yeah. role-playing and the crunch, like, and you can enjoy the combat as much as you can enjoy the role-playing. And I think one without the other isn't as enjoyable because you need that contrast to be able to enjoy the the opposite, you know, end of the spectrum, so to, so to speak. But Dune is absolutely built for some amazing role-playing. I think um, games like Vampire yeah. Masquerade showed us that there's a lot of players that want to focus on role-playing and not so much on the, you know, here's, here's a bunch of monsters to fight with your oozes or swords. Um, and, and, I mean, of course, which you can do that, but... Um, you know, they really want to invest in role playing and, um, you know, developing their characters and the interactions with each other. And I think June, uh, and, and there's not, a, I mean, of course, you can do that with any game if you have a GM that's going to work on that with you. But we really wanted um, June to really bring that to life, to really let players engage in a lot more intrigue and, um, you know, dialogue-related uh, uh, scenes. But also you've got these extra levels where you can run your agents. You can send in a bunch of soldiers on a on a combat mission and have that if you want. Or you can send in your, um, your representatives to um, uh, a court uh, event, you know. So um, it really gives you a lot of variety and a lot of options. Oh, yeah. And I saw that also, um, you know, aside from the role-playing games, and, and I think it's awesome you have the... You know, the licensed contact, uh, content, your in-house worlds that you've created, the things that you do, like you said, to kind of uh, be a launch pad for new game uh, creators and such, like, you know, bringing in new new game systems under your brand. But I saw that you also have board games, like the, the Kung Fu Vampire and Agatha Christie, the, the Death on Cards or whatever. Um, so you also have board games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I mean, we started off with role-playing games. We went heavily into miniatures but we did you know we did the thunderbirds game by matt leacock that was great kung fu panda uh which is like the kind of live uh dice rolling game really frantic you're playing against a, an egg timer uh to move your miniatures around the map um so that that came out really well um agatha christie is a game you would not imagine that's something that we would do but the uh, i knew the people who designed it um it's a friend of mine thomas and he actually designed it uh whilst he'd had a uh, really bad um crash on his motorcycle oh and they said he was going to lose his um short-term memory so he designed this game every day to really work his brain and it worked he's you know wow um, got through it and uh, and so he did this fantastic game um teamed up with the agatha christie estate and came to me and said look we, this is kind of all uh, ready we just need someone to publish it and i was like sure okay let's do it so um and it's been a really big hit and asthma day sell it around the world for us and they you know put a big reorder in every year and it just keeps selling so it's a it's a great fun probably plays in like 20 minutes um really fantastic for four people one of you's the murderer you've got to figure out who the murderer is and um and it's a lot of fun if you if you like your excuse me, Agatha Christie novels, or if you just like murder mysteries. Um, 
So, uh, and then of course we've got the Siege of the Citadel game. That was an epic uh, Kickstarter, an epic time uh, in all sense of the word, um, a couple of years back. So that's just shipped to backers. Um, and then uh, we've got the Skyrim board game coming next uh, that our in-house team have been working on. They do, have done a really amazing job. And that's coming out on GameFound later this summer. And, wow. and that is a uh, one to four player co-op adventure game where you're moving around uh, Skyrim uh, doing quests wow. and, and meeting NPCs and upgrading your gear, upgrading your character, uh, going dungeon delving and dealing with a big uh, kind of unfolding plot that is different every time you play it. Well, the kind of the, the route that the kind of main story is, is the same, but how you get to the plot is going to be different. You'll see different parts of the story. Um, and there's like, God, hundreds of hours of gameplay in that. Um, wow. Really looking forward to seeing what people think of it. Uh, yeah, and I noticed, uh, like, in the ones that you, the tabletop role-playing games that you've made from video game IP, like, for instance, in Fallout, and now the whole Skyrim thing you just mentioned and we're talking about, one thing that I really enjoyed mm. reading in the Fallout rulebook was how it explains, and, you know, I'm just isn't exact, the, the, the gist of it here for anybody watching is, uh, you know, it, it talks about how the world, you know, the environments, everything in it, the lore, whatever, is pulled from the video games. Obviously, it's where Fallout is from, the world. But it, it talks about the events that take place in the video game aren't necessarily, you know, happening in the role-playing game. Uh, or maybe I'm not wording that right, but it kind of lays it out to where the players have full player agency. You're in that world. But you're not locked into exactly what happened in the video games. It's full player, uh, you know, open world. So I, I love the we fact that you didn't, you know, lock it in to the exact things that happen in video game because I feel that that would come across too contrived. It, it has such an open world yeah. feel to it because of that. I love it. Yeah, we we, we try and des describe the game as day zero in the video game world. So like when we did the Dishonored role-playing game, we describe everything at day zero before the player in the video game had an impact on the world. Uh, so Fallout in the same way, it's kind of, you know, set around Fallout 4. So day zero, you know, the maybe your character brought down the institutes in the video game, but everything is as it was day zero. The video game hasn't started playing yet. So you've got your chance to to have an impact. And of course, as a GM, if you want to play through the events of the video game, great. If you want to create your own stories, great. Um, or follow our, our other adventures and missions, then that works too. And I, we felt that was the best way to give people the be you know, the most fun experience. Because maybe you do want to play through, maybe you want people to wake up in a vault in, in Fallout 4 and uh, realize their partner's missing and have to find them, you know, maybe you want to do something different. So it's up to you. Yeah, no, I love that a lot. Um, and then also back on a thing you mentioned earlier, let me make sure I get this up. Um, yeah, you were talking about, and, and again, every, anybody in chat, if you have questions, keep them going. I am backtracking. Um, I'm going to grab them. And once we get through uh, some of this other talk that I had planned with Chris, you know, I, I have some questions I took down from people that couldn't make the live stream, and I know people in the live stream might have some more questions. We'll absolutely get to, you know, anything you want to ask, you know, just random questions. But first, I did want you to explain um, the family aspect to Modifius, the family company. I really like the vibe. You know, I, I, 
Artaus, that's what I liked about Artausorian when I first got into their gaming company and some others that I've worked with uh, in, in the past, recent past, mostly with Artausorian um, and now working with, with you. But what I love about certain companies is when it goes from that sort of, um, I don't want to say capitalist vibe, but just that, you know, churning a product, make, make the profit. And, and it's good. Don't get me wrong. Great product. Here it is. Let me make my money. Move on to the next thing. Maybe I'll meet you someday or talk to you, whatever. But these sort of family-run companies, like what you're doing, and I, you know, I'll, I'll give you the mic in a moment. Absolutely, I want it, you want you to explain how you and your wife. You also mentioned other employees that have been with you since day one. Um, I love the vibe of it, not just being a, a you know a proper business plan, which it should be. Every every brand and business should be, but the fact that it's driven and fueled by family, that it's not just an employee thing and a good idea and, you know, a business, but it's family. It's like, uh, you know, I, I, I've been a, a touring musician, which we should talk about outside of stream now that I've learned that you have a history in, in the, the music industry and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I do filmmaking. I run my marketing company, my Puff Tough products. Like I run multiple businesses and I've done, you know, whatever I've done in, in the past decades that I've been with my, my wife, We've done it together. You know, when I was on tour, she would run the merch table, help me with that filmmaking. She's either acting or running production design, whether I'm directing, producing, uh, you know, the gaming stuff. She's she's streaming in my gameplay. You know, we're a team. We are best friends. And I love that vibe when I see other people have that. And and I and I see that with you. Um, and, and just fill me in on that, how you started the company. It was a family business, right? Well, it was, um, we were in, I mean, uh, my wife Rita were in Belarus, and we were, and she knew I wasn't particularly happy doing the t-shirts anymore after 13 years. And um, uh, she said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I kind of started thinking about ideas, and she gave me the kind of space to kind of think about it. And then I, you know, I proposed the World War II project, and she, I mean, she's not a gamer, so she just said, "Like, oh, well, you know, go ahead then." And we, of course, we didn't realize it was going to be a business. But when it became a big hit, I was just like, hey, we've got to do this. To, you know, we're, this is our business now. It's going to pay. And so she, she was just doing everything I wasn't. She was looking after the money. She was paying the invoices. She was emailing the press for me. She was, you know, doing customer service and anything that I, you know, couldn't cope with. So, and that's, you know, over time, you know, she's now the... Um, uh, chief operations officer for the business, you know, which is employs 45 people and about another 100 freelancers. So she's, you know, handles all the orders and the money and the looks after the operations team and, um, you know, kind of backs me up. And, you know, when we, yeah, when we've been doing conventions before, she's there dressed as a fallout girl or, yeah. um, you know, kind of just helping out on the stand, taking the money. Um, you know, she'll come when she can and, um, you know, and it's it's tough working together. I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. It's as I'm sure you'll know. It's it's hard work. It's a lot of pressure on you as a couple, and um, and you know we've we started doing it to spend more time together. Um, and I you know I don't think I'd change it, but uh, you know it's it it's certainly something you've got to really work on the relationship as you go. You you can't sort of spend too much time on the business, and it's important to get that that distinction between work and life, you know, and don't let, you know, the work take over everything. It's very easy to do that. It's very easy to end up working evenings and weekends and stuff. And, um, you know, thankfully, we've got a great team around us now, so we don't need to 
to work so you know such long crazy hours but if you're starting a business and building it you, you know you do need to put the time oh, in yeah. uh, to make it work and we try to keep that family atmosphere um you know like i said we we just gave everyone friday and monday off we as a long weekend so that they could go out and meet their friends things had eased up a bit in the uk everyone's been working really hard this um you know this first half of the year so we thought let's just give everyone a long weekend to to kind of chill out a bit and i think um being able to do stuff like that is really important and and just realizing uh you know we do work hard but you know uh, employees are people and they need to you know they're you know probably struggling especially with lockdown you know it's a lot harder on people than you oh, might yeah. imagine you think it's especially in london it's not easy working from home you know i'm lucky that we've got a you know decent space but you know some people are in a bed sit with like three other people and um you know trying to all work around the same table and and it's you know it's really hard work so um yeah, we, it's, you know, it's trying to keep that, you know, that we're approachable and, you know, that we're not the best payers, but we pay, you know, we pay okay and, and try and give people a quality of life that they enjoy, that often a lot of people come to us because they're, you know, maybe kind of sick of the corporate life and, and want to work on something that they love. And, um, and I, you know, and I don't just pick stuff that I love and everyone hates. I try and make sure that, you know, if it's a new project, that there's someone in the company that's like, oh my God, that's going to be amazing you know i'd love to work on that and um uh that you know there's some passion throughout business for what we do so right. yeah that's um yeah and uh, and you've got to be commercial at the end of the day you you know you've got to pay the bills mm -hmm. so it's it it is a tricky balance and especially as you get bigger it gets harder you know when there's five of you or ten of you it's ever so easy uh, you know we used to just go out and sit in the park and feed squirrels uh, <laughs> on an afternoon during the week and it's hard to do that now because there's a lot of meetings you know so oh, yeah. um you know but we did we had a day where we um we we um bought in a load of food and drinks and took everyone to the park across the road from the office and we just had a kind of picnic uh for nice. uh, two or three hours in the afternoon that was a really nice break and you know it's good to try and do that stuff Oh yeah. No, and it seems like it, a lot comes down to trust. You know, I think you just said it like, you know, you have a great team that you, that you can trust that, you know, can, can get the job done and have the same passions and, and motivations and, uh, you know, be as detail oriented, have that, have all those same things in mind and share the same, uh, characteristics and that, you know, when you start off, you, you can kind of control, I, yeah, I hate using the word control because you're still a team. It's you and your wife, the few, but you, you feel like you have a little more control over everything. Then it starts expanding and it's like, okay, now I, I've got to delegate and just trust that this is my partner. This is my team member. He gets it. She gets it. They're going to handle it while I'm over here working on this. And like, it comes down to trust. And I think that's, that's awesome. But it, but the fact it's built from, you know, family and that family vibe and it's you, you and your wife. And like, I, I love that. And I think it, you know, and it's not, it's not typical. Like you said, it's not easy. Um, I've always been like that. Me and Valerie, like I said, we're best friends and I've had some friends that have similar, some that don't. And it's, it's not easy to be like that. So I recognize it when others have it, you know? So when I see that, I'm like, man, that's awesome because I know what it's like. And, and, uh, that's, it's great that you have that. It's really cool. Um, and that being said, let's get into some of these questions. I have a few here uh, from the community, uh, a couple people that couldn't make it to the live stream, so they sent me the messages. 
and I want to get those handled. And while I do that, I just want to let everybody know that's watching the live stream right now. If you have a question for Chris or myself or, or gaming in general, it can be about Modifius and their, their IP or, you know, anything. We've got Chris here, so just feel free to type a question in the chat and uh, we'll see if he can answer it. Um, yeah, the first one here I have from... And I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher these usernames first. Let me just say, I, I am so sorry <laughs> if I say these names wrong. Anybody watching, I'm going to do my best here. But it's Crod Knight Walker or Crowd Knight Walker. Uh, he says, will there be more John Carter content coming? Uh, good question. Um, I believe there is an adventure in the works. So, yes. Nice. In theory, but I, I can't 100% confirm. But I believe there is an adventure being written. Nice, awesome. Um, Karkura. Kar Karkura. Hopefully, I'm, again, I'm butchering these. I apologize. Um, is there an official explanation on how the mechanics of addiction and disease work as pertaining to ghouls? Uh, in the book, uh, it specifically states ghouls in, are, are less likely to. Yeah, in Fallout, sorry. In, in the Fallout 2D20. Um, specifically states ghouls are less likely to get addicted and are not affected by man many diseases. But I haven't seen any clarification beyond that. Like, do they start with a rank of the chem resistance perk, uh, which diseases don't affect them? And I know what they're saying here because in that section it does talk about how if, they, if a ghoul uses chems, it's going to take two times the amount of chems for them to even get affected. Um, but it, but it, it mentions that they're less likely to get addicted but it doesn't explain any crunch of how, sure. how to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I don't know the answer is the honest truth. So I, I'd recommend um, if you ask in the fallout RPG uh, section of the forum, uh, then the team are keeping an eye on that and either someone in the community will answer or, um, and it, it might be, you know, sometimes there, you get something like this overlooked and then, you know, there's a piece of text somewhere that was meant to go in there to, to explain it sure. or it was just missed. So, um, you know, it might be part of the errata or an FAQ uh, that's being put together. So normally once the game goes out, I mean, every, uh, even D&D even &D had, I think it was five, you know. Um, oh, yeah. No, it was like 20 pages of errata when they first came out. So, it, even after multiple editions, and, and we do, and no game is perfect when it comes out. So you, you often rely on the eagle-eyed fans to, to find those tricky little um, bits that, you know, you just miss. So, um, yeah. Exactly. I, like I said, I'd ask, ask the question in the forum, and uh, uh, hopefully then it will uh, start a chain reaction that will get an answer s at some point. Yeah, no, and that's great because Kirkura, I think, originally posted it to the Fallout uh, channel on Discord um, and, and didn't get, get a reply in the Discord. But there you go. Go to the actual yeah. forum uh, and post that question. Maybe somebody from the yeah, team can help Yeah, because we, uh, we tend to let the fan communities run Discord. Mm -hmm. And um, so we use the forum for kind of more specific rules, queries that we can then try and track down. We'll keep an eye on. Exactly. Um, E-Red has three questions. I mean, one of this kind of plays into what you were just saying about the errata thing, but I'll get to that in a moment. But um, E-Red says, will Fallout 2D20 release expansions like modules, um, gear, you know, weapons, etc., based off other, you know, the other games? Fallout 3, New Vegas, uh, 76. 
Well, I know um, I know there's some adventures uh, in the works, and I think in approvals. Um, and you know, it's it's a bit like the miniatures game we did for Fallout. So we've we did you know we've we've done a lot of the releases from Fallout Four. We just started doing Fallout New Vegas. Um, you know, there's going to be stuff from Fallout Three coming. You know, we've already um, uh, done Frank Horrigan, who's from one of the earlier games. So it's it's you 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 can get there. Um, where we often start, of course, with the the game that's had the most sales, the most it's the most commercial. Going back to those commercial realities, um, but yes, yeah, so of course we'll start to get inspired and and create stuff based on the different loc- locations in the Fallout world. Yeah, so I'll, uh, it just I'll... takes time because um, you know obviously approval, you know writing takes time, approvals can take time, uh, especially for video games companies. And uh, and there's so much content from Fallout 4, or so much inspiration for content, um, you know. But I would hope that we would. Yes, I, I suppose the answer is I hope so. <laughs> I, I can't I can't uh, confirm whether it'll definitely happen. Yeah, and I'll say uh, to anybody in the community, anybody watching that that loves Fallout 2D20 and is getting behind the tabletop role playing game because you were a fan of the video game or you just love the idea, promote it. Share Modifius's site, share their fan page on Facebook, retweet them on Twitter. Uh, if you see their ads, share that shit. Tag your friends in the comments. Tell your friends how awesome it is. If you like a game and you want more content for it, it make it popular. Promote it more. Let people know how awesome it is, and then there will be a demand for it. And then companies and brands will make more shit for it because there will be a demand for it. So just like Chris was saying, you know, it, you know, as much as you love something it's a business as well. So you got to kind of go where the popularity is and create content for that. So if you're loving it, promote the shit out of it and make them aware that people want more content. Especially, um, you know, if there's an indie creator you like, promote them. The more sales they get, the more they're going to write for that game. If you want to see more for a game world, then talk about it. Get all your friends buying it. That's the easiest way to get them to write more stuff. Exactly. Um, this second question from E-Red, he had uh, three of them here. He or she. Let me say that because I don't know who E-Red is. We're friends online now. so um, And that, that name, at least I've got, it's just an E and Red. I think I'm pr- pronouncing that one right. But the second question they asked kind of uh, plays into that um, errata sort of thing. And it says, will the PDF be updated to fix mistakes and add any changes when the physical copy of the CRB is shipped? And if so, will we get it by email or uh, once more or available for free? And I think that that's, you know, stems in, yeah, future uh, um, versions of the PDF with normally, Errata. Yeah, we normally wait a bit, for, so for the book to be out in retail and out online for a month, unless there's some real critical areas like, like these numbers are wrong and it's gonna suck playing the game. Uh, but if it's small errata, small mi- bits of missing content, we normally wait a month or so because it's quite a lot of work to do an update and we want to do as much as we can in one go and then lock it and then, you know, and then the next time we print the book, that'll that will be the version that probably gets printed. So I would say that, you know, in a month or two, we would be looking at all the potential errata and, and doing a... Uh, an update and of course if you if you 
bought the book from our store. If you get the, the book in retail, there's a sticker in the back of the book that gets you a free PDF from our store. So if you come and claim that PDF, then as soon as that PDF is updated, you'll get the free update. Exactly. Um, and then their, uh, their third question here, which is kind of related to that first question, uh, semi-related to the first question, will any gameplay content be added to the system later down the road, i.e. mutations from 76, more perks, origins, etc.? So I think they're saying, um, like in the first question, are there going to be expansions released like modules, campaigns, you know, gear expansions? I think in this one, uh, they're asking, uh, will these Rose. things be... At, yeah, added to the system later, the mutations from 76, more perks. Yeah, origins. yeah, you, you could imagine new character options and, and other rules expansions coming in the future, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, and then the last question I had in advance, and then we'll get in, we have a handful of questions here from live chat, but the last one that I had sent to me uh, prior to the stream was um, from Johnny Carander, Johnny Car John I. Carander, maybe, because it's a capital I. Sorry. Again, sorry, sorry about the username butchering. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm trying to, trying to do the best here. Uh, but yeah, Johnny says, um, or John I., f any future content for Dune planned currently? Well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be announcing uh, some new products soon, uh, probably very soon this month in the next oh. uh, few weeks. Um, and you could imagine as a major RPG line, it will probably get um, a, its fair share of expansions, new dice sets, uh, books, um, etc. So yes, unequivocally yes is the answer. Awesome, I'm excited about that. Um, all right, Robert Tables has, oh, is that your wife in the background? Hey, and, and a doggy, was that a doggy? Kitty, who is uh, who lives across the road, hey, decided to make our uh, hi, and she's given me very tasty mint tea, nice chocolate. <laughs> yeah, Robert Tables, so we're, yes, we've uh, we've been sorry, go on. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Robert Table's question here uh, says, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing professionally? <laughs> so if you didn't go the the, wow, wow. the gaming route, what would you, what do you think you would have ended up right now? Well, I would probably still be doing the clothing, um, uh. the, which is called Joystick Junkies. Um, so I was a fashion designer, basically, um, you know, and creative, creative director for the brand. So kind of developing T-shirt graphics and, and stuff. Uh, I do like writing fiction, so maybe I would have started writing more fiction. Um, I'm still doing some fiction in the background, but the games take precedence. So who knows? You never know. But I, I also like doing events. Um, I do occasional kind of dance parties in London, uh, to kind of reconnect with my old, you know, the old um, group of friends, that are, you know, more the into their events and uh, DJs and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's good to see that crowd, and you know, you don't often see them in in the gaming world. So it's um, a completely different audience. Oh yeah, completely different scene, you know. Um, 
Yeah. Pyro Gun 25 here in chess says, if I wanted to freelance for any 2D20 system, uh, who is the best person to contact? How should they go about that? Uh, so the uh, process is send an email to support at modifius.com and, and just give us uh, uh, your CV, your, your writing CV, what have you done so far? Uh, maybe give us, you know, an example of some work you've done. Uh, it doesn't have to be huge, just a, a short one-page sample or something. And, and tell us which game you'd like to write for um, and what your strength is, whether you like writing adventures, setting material, rules, uh, storyline, and, and we can, you know, the team will direct it in, the, in to the right people. Um, can't always guarantee that, uh, you will get picked up, but um, we do, you know, we do take on new writers from time to time. But we're we usually kind of, um, we're, you know, we're already in the middle of writing projects that won't come out for maybe a year or more. So um, uh, it just, you know, depends on timing. But send it in, and it's a you never know. Awesome. So yeah, support at modifius dot com. Um, Elh in here, a fellow game master. Uh, has a question says i know with star trek adventures that cbs has been very strict with who can do what with the ip right down to the homebrew do you foresee the same sorts of issues with fallout 2d20 and microsoft slash slash bethesda well actually star trek um once you're a licensee once you're an official officially licensed partner they're actually very easygoing. They embrace licensed partners creating new content. So we were able to create this whole area of space called the Shackleton Expanse um, for our living campaign. And that's now the subject of the big campaign book that's coming, um, I think it's early next year. And, um, you know, we were able to create ships and characters and um whole plot lines um because they break up star trek canon into alpha canon and beta canon um you know so you've got the canon that is the movies and the tv shows that's your kind of prime universe and then you've got everything that's like in novels and video games which can do different things it can contradict what's in the tv shows to a certain extent i mean that people try not to but you know, um, you know, a good example, I, I said, well, look, um, we never really see Federation Marines, but if we wanted to have a Marine and there's like a heavy cannon, can we create that? They're like, yeah, sure, you just submit it. Yeah, cool. um, so it, they're, they're very open to that stuff, which is brilliant. Now, um, Bethesda is a different story because they, I mean, in the same way, they're constantly, you know, constantly, they are releasing new Fallout content from time to time. And we have to be a bit more careful. Uh, and because they don't have that distinction between alpha and beta canon, it's all canon. So in their view is if you create something in the in one part of the universe, in theory, it's in, in the whole universe. So we can't just go, oh, there's a new vault and it's called 117 because they might want to use 117 as a vault for another purpose in a future video game, and they don't want to be painted into a corner. So when, we, when we're creating content um, for whether it's the Fallout Miniatures game or uh, the role-playing game, 
uh, we might create a scenario which is there is this um, vault tech offices and it's in your local community or it's in the local hills, wherever your campaign is based. We don't necessarily go um, and it's here in this mountain chain, just here at this point. Um, you know, where what we can do is place, utilize things like communities that exist in the video games or already on the map, existing vaults, as I said, because it's day zero. You, you can be, the vaults that are in the video games are all there waiting to be found as if you're the video game player. Uh, and um, so we, you know, they're also amazing to work with. We've probably done, God, maybe about 800 sculpts across between Fallout and Elder Scrolls now, and maybe five of them have been, had to be resubmitted because of very minor details, like the hat doesn't look big enough or, <laughs> uh, you know, something simple like that. Um, and they're very, they're very easy going, but, you know, we have to respect the boundaries of, the, you know, future video games, we can't do something in the world that might limit them doing something really cool. So it's, uh, you know, what, as long as you know the rules, you can create within that and, and be quite clever. So, Yeah, and that's set, you know, in the rule book and what they're creating. But, you know, as a, as a game master and you as a, as a player, anybody, you, ELH, anybody watching, I'm saying, um, obviously, you know, you take the rules and in your game, you can homebrew anything. You can drop any lore in there. It's, it's not as detrimental to the Bethesda lore uh, to come. But obviously, Modiphius is a bit limited in what they put in the book because, like you said, they don't yeah, want to be painted into a corner if all of a sudden you create something that's specific. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and EL, ELH says, to, um, interesting, thanks for the answer. So he's thanking you for that. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. We are hoping to um, set up a... A program with drive through RPG, a bit like they had the kind of GM uh, uh, system where you can create content um, and have it, you know, as official, semi-official content uh, as part of the, um, I think it's it, the GM's Guild, um, uh, so that you could write your own um, Mutant Chronicles or a Conan story and, and put it up there. So... But it, it, as you can imagine, because it's all different licensees and so what you've got to explain to them. So someone's going to be creating a piece of content that you won't see to approve officially, but it's going to have your logo on it. So it opens up all sorts of interesting challenges that we're trying to resolve at the moment. But our, our hope is mm -hmm. that we'll be able to make a whole bunch of the IPs available for people to create games against. And, and that might include Star Trek. It might include... Conan and so on, and it's um, it, but it's just legally very complicated uh, because of the you know the rights and um, licensing agreements that we have in place. So, oh, yeah. Kitty, so the ki Kitty's making yeah. a, an appearance. She's coming back. Thank you. <laughs> he. he wants to go out. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, yeah. I think you know we nailed all the questions. I got the the background of everything. I think anybody in chat, if you got any last minute questions. Drop them in right now or forever hold your peace because we're going to wrap this up. Um, you know, mm -hmm. once again, thanks so much, Chris, for joining me. I know we had a hard time kind of juggling the schedules and oh, such. Yeah. I really appreciate you making time to do this. I also, again, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of the team and stream your games and kind of, um, you know, sure. be, be officially sponsored with some of these things and, and team up. I'm, I'm 
so excited to get these things going, not just for my brand, but also teaming up with Mad Queen and some other things I have in the works. I'm just, I'm loving it. And I'm loving the game systems. Uh, just mad pro mad props to you and Modifius. Uh, anybody watching, make sure you go check out Modifius and everything Chris has going on over there. I'm going to make sure I put the link in the description. So whether you're watching this live stream or you're watching the VOD on the Cyberpunk Uncensored YouTube channel, make sure you look in the description, follow the link, uh, look up Modifius and show them some love. They're doing so much cool stuff and they really deserve all the support. Um, that being said, also make sure anybody watching, check out cyberpunkuncensored.com and everything that I have going on. Uh, we're doing so much gameplay and interviews and tutorials and free assets for gameplay. I just have so much going on. It's too much to mention. I do want to give a little plug, though, that this Thursday we're, we're uh, still doing the Sirenscape weekly gameplay. So that'll be my next live stream that everyone can tune into. So go head over to Sirenscape on Twitch and make sure you follow and subscribe over there so you don't miss any of that. We're having a lot of fun doing that every week. Um, any last words, Chris, anything, any last things you want to say or promote or plug, um, any last words before we, we end this? Uh, no, I'm all good. I mean, thanks for the time. It's always good to, to tell our story and, um, we've got a, we do have a, a big new exciting IP that we've been working on. Well, two of them actually, <laughs> Uh, we've been working on our own two new IPs uh, alongside the relaunch of Acton Cthulhu. And one of them is going to be announcing uh, in um, August, I think. It all, yeah. all, all goes to plan. And it's another big 2D20 world. Um, and it's um, so much fun. We're, we're having a great time working at a great list of uh, uh, wonderful writers who come together for it. And more will be joining. So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. Well, I'm excited. Now, that was a little teaser. I'm excited to find out what that's about. <laughs> yeah, and Robert Tables in chat says, uh, this was fascinating and Chris was such a wonderful guest. Please do stop by again soon. Um, I got to agree, Chris, you're awesome to have on a live stream and do this interview um, and just to hang out in general. So uh, in the future, as new releases happen, other streams, new information, whatever, let's have you back in the future sure. to, to you know talk more modifious stuff. Hell yeah. We should, we should play a game sometime. That'd be awesome. Hell yeah. Let's get you uh, either playing or GMing a game. Uh, we'll do a one shot or something. I would, I would absolutely love that. Um, and ELH says, uh, make That's sure, make sure, uh, kitty, make sure to post a VOD in the main Fallout Discord as well. And I will, I will, absolutely. Once I get the VOD going, you know, I post it to all the Facebook groups. I put it on Twitter, Instagram. We uh, put it in the community on YouTube and the site. And I will definitely get in Discord and, and post it to all the different Fallout. Uh, servers and channels that I can. Uh, and let's see, Med Medulis OT says, yes, thank you for the interview. Uh, oh, my beautiful wife, uh, Valerie Mulligans in the chat says, great interview. Uh, Winter Green UK says, really enjoyed this. Both of you are really interesting. Hey, I appreciate that. Uh, both of us are interesting. That's me too. Hey. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. And uh, again, Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, everybody in chat, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Take thanks, care. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot.